Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Barbara Troutline. Welcome, I'm Dr. Barbara Troutline, Principal and Chief Catalyst at Change Catalyst, home of the CQ system for developing change intelligent leaders and organizations. I'm thrilled to be a host for Women and Manufacturing, along with my six amazing co-hosts. The conversations we're having with exceptional women in STEM fields is mission critical for organizations to ensure all voices are heard and are able to contribute in this time of massive disruption across industries around the world. And of course, it's of vital importance for women and girls and men and boys too to achieve success in life and work. Please do continue to engage in this conversation by following us online at womenandmfg.com and on Twitter too. Our conversation today will be free-ranging, and it will also focus on how a career in engineering is made up of so much more than the stereotypical science and math. I'm honored today to be joined by Dr. Tiffany Ling. Tiffany leads the Engineering Senior Design Clinic at the University of St. Thomas, the largest private university in Minnesota. She also teaches the introductory engineering course there. Prior to joining the St. Thomas Engineering faculty in 2015, Tiffany worked for Honeywell Aerospace. She managed managed numerous projects from small-scale product design through manufacturing line conversions and large corporate initiatives. As, As a lead senior process engineer at Honeywell, Tiffany led a team of engineers in continuously improving and supporting the supply chain and process flow of pressure sensing, pressure sensor manufacturing lines. In addition, Tiffany continues to own and lead an independent engineering consulting firm, resolving complex design and manufacturing problems for local and multinational corporations. Tiffany's doctoral research at Northwestern University focused on investigation of novel fabrication processes for generating micro-scale surface textures. Tiffany studied the effects of textured surfaces for numerous applications, including reduce friction and wear properties, application of de-icing and hydrophobic properties, and improve biological attachment. She spent much of her dissertation work on projects directly interfacing with industrial sponsors, such as Boeing and Ford, for which she has been awarded multiple patents. Welcome, Tiffany. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Barbara. It's really exciting to be here. Yes, absolutely. And I was wondering if there is anything additional you would like to share with the audience about your background that wasn't covered in your bio that would be valuable for us to know about your life and career thus far. Sure. So um, I guess I just wanted to give you a little bit more details about my work at Honeywell. Um, When I was there, it was about four years, and I worked a variety of different positions while I was there, kind of working my way up. So I started as an entry-level engineer and then worked my way up to a group lead. During that time, um, I was also a production supervisor for a short stint. Um, and, and throughout all of that, I really loved working on the manufacturing floor, um, you know, even from day one, and gained what I felt like was really a tremendous amount of knowledge and skills during my time there. So, I, you know, I look back, and I'm so glad that I had that experience. Um, and now that I'm interacting with students on a daily basis, I really love that I can share that journey and my love for manufacturing with my students. Um, and kind of help give them the skills that they're going to need to to succeed. So that's really exciting for me. Um, on a personal it is, level, I have. Yeah, go ahead. 
No, please go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't want to interrupt. No, it's okay. I was just going to say on a personal level, I've got three little boys at home. So I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. So um, things at home and at work are both uh, very busy. So it's, it's fun being busy. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what one of my clients says. They, they laugh with each other and they say, well, at least we're not bored. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> well, great. Well, we'll definitely talk about how you balance it with your very busy career, both at, as an academic and a, uh, uh, you know, running your own engineering firm and having small children at home. Uh, but I'd like to start off just asking you, what is it really like to be an engineer? And, and what do you find that people assume such jobs are like versus the reality? Yeah, so I hear all the time, and I hear this from my students, is that, you know, engineering is about science and math. And that's um, that's kind of the what's perpetuated in the schools, too. You know, if you're good at science and math classes, then they say, hey, why don't you be an engineer? But the reality is that engineering is really so much more than that. Um, especially in manufacturing, there's so much interaction in teams and working with different groups, you know, from working with operations to quality folks and planning and research and development. You know, there's, you can't just sit at your desk and work in a bubble because what you do impacts so many different people. Um, and so I think it's important for us to try to, to share that message with young people that, that there's so much more than just sitting in front of a computer and kind of, you know, hacking away by yourself at a problem. Um, my, my own experience as a manufacturing engineer is that it was very fast-paced. There was so much teamwork. Um, and I would, if I look back, I would say maybe 30% of the time I'm using my core engineering skills, and the rest of the time I'm using, using other things, um, that, you know, oral and written communication skills, interacting with teams, um, creativity, management skills, you know, there's, there's so much more to it. Um, and, and for me, that's what's exciting about it is that it's not just me working on my own. You know, my work is impacting so many different people. Yeah, I definitely think that that is a, a paradigm shift, a very different way of looking at, a, at an engineer's career than a lot of people do have in terms of the, the stereotype that we do here. Um, and, but given that so much of an engineer's career, as you say, maybe 70% or more, maybe beyond science and math, uh, what can aspiring engineers do to get the experiences they need to set themselves up for success? Yeah, so I would say they would definitely not want to discount other skills that they're gaining in other disciplines. So, you know, they're in school and they're going to be learning how to, how to write things formally and how to communicate effectively and, um, you know, doing team projects and, and learning leadership skills and, and creativity and ethics. And, you know, there's, there's so much more that they're going to be learning. And those things are all valuable skills. So they shouldn't just be paying attention in the science and math classes because, you know, in, in their English class, those are also real skills that they're going to need on the job. If they can't communicate effectively um, and, and work in teams effectively, they're not going to be an effective employee. So, so those skills are going to be so critical in addition to the science and math, of course. But, but those, those core skills are a base, and then, you know, all the rest of those skills have to fit in there too to kind of create this complete puzzle. Yeah, I think that's a good message to um, to send uh, uh, people in uh, of college ages who can get frustrated with the need to take some electives and get frustrated right. with some of the group projects maybe that they have to be involved yep. in. Um, I think that, yep. yes, exactly, both our, ourselves as parents as well as educators would, would do well to, uh, to reinforce some of those messages. And also I would imagine 
the benefits of being involved in ex- extracurricular activities also. Oh, definitely, especially when there are leadership opportunities involved in those extracurriculars, um, you know, just the organizational skills and the team building and those kind of things, those are all really great skills to be learning. Yeah, absolutely. So initially, Tiffany, what attracted you to engineering and to work in a manufacturing organization? Yeah, so part of it was kind of intentional, and then part of it was sort of happenstance. Um, so I previously had also adopted that, that kind of science and math stereotype, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm good at these things. I like these things. Let's see where it goes. Um, as a young person, um, I was always really interested in um, kind of finding out and exploring nature. Um, so I always said that I was going to be a scientist. Um, so I would rip grapes apart and then put them down on the ground and wait until the ants came and, and, you know, look at different times of how long it took them and how many gathered and things like that around these grapes, which, you know, I'm sure people watched me do this and thought that I was totally crazy. But to me, it was really interesting. <laughs> um, um, so from there, I guess, um, I, I also spent a fair amount of time as a child in my dad's workshop. He was a um, cabinet maker by trade and so I was fairly familiar with him doing, you know, drilling things and, and cutting boards and, you know, things like that. And that wasn't really an intimidating thing to me. So I think that also kind of helped me um, where other people might have intimidation of, of, you know, large machines. To me, that was just kind of part of, part of life. Um, then in high school, I attended a week-long summer engineering camp. Um, that was sponsored by the University of Wisconsin. So that was really a fantastic opportunity because we kind of explored some different types of engineering, um, took apart a computer and um, built a, a structure tower that we put on a shake table, um, just a, a variety of different things that were really fun and engaging and, and, got, and it was only for girls and it, and it got us all just really pumped up about how cool it was to be an engineer and doing hands-on things. Um, so I chose mechanical engineering from there for my bachelor's degree, but I really didn't know what it was at that point. Honestly, I didn't know any mechanical engineers, so I was just kind of a shot in the dark that, oh, that sounds good. It's supposed to be hands-on, and <laughs> let's see where it goes, right? Um, so then in college, um, I did internships at uh, Anderson Corporation, which is a big um, window manufacturer here in Minnesota. Um, and I actually worked on the manu- manufacturing floor um, doing some projects in collaboration with other engineers and, um, and with the operations staff there. So I learned early on how fun it was to kind of, and challenging, um, to interact with those groups of people and try to make changes that everyone would be on board with. Um, and so I, I, I learned there kind of early on that, oh, these, these people skills and, you know, knowing how to talk to different groups is going to be really key here. Um, and so it, that started my love for manufacturing and I, I got a early taste of lean manufacturing there too and really kind of fell in love with the the logicalness of it um, trying to you know improve efficiency and that kind of thing um, then I decided in grad school versus work um, kind of partly to see how far I could get with education and with the added bonus of kind of going to school for free and getting the stipend was pretty appealing um, for engineering PhD programs which are, are typically of that nature where you can get it paid for um, I was like, oh, well, let's just kind of see where this goes. So I didn't necessarily have a end career in mind when I did that. Um, so from there then, um, when I was applying for my first job, 
the economy wasn't so great at that point, and so I was kind of looking wherever I could get my foot in the door for a entry level, you know, first job. Um, that, that first job is kind of the trickiest one to get. After that, you know, things get easier because you've got the experience. Um, so I think I was really lucky to end up at Honeywell, um, and and the group that I was in was fairly ripe with opportunities for advancement from there, which was really fortunate for me. And the learning that I got there was really fantastic too. Um, one of the, even the first month that I started there, they were doing a major um, floor conversion from batch flow into single piece flow for lean manufacturing. And so I kind of became the right-hand woman of the, the project lead. And that learning experience was really fantastic and exciting to see that transformation of the factory floor. Well, that definitely sounds like, as you said, it was a mix of intentionality and happenstance. And yeah, it, it exactly. also sounds definitely like you took advantage of many different opportunities that presented themselves to you, and you really leveraged them and, and uh, used them to help you figure out what's next in your journey. Have you seen that that's not atypical for the women now that you have as students and that you work with and the different companies that you consult with? You know, I would, I would say that's probably fairly common. Um, I don't know a lot of engineers that start out um, that – fully know exactly what career they want to end up in. Um, there are some of those out there, which is great. They're, you know, total go-getters and know what they're going after. Um, but I, I think allowing some flexibility is, is definitely a good thing for a career, too, because you really do never know what's going to come up next. Um, so I think kind of seeing what's out there and taking advantage of those things can be a good strategy for a number of people. Yeah, absolutely. And so from your unique vantage point as an engineer or a researcher or an academic what have you noticed about other women's journeys into engineering and manufacturing? So I think it's a little bit mixed. Um, some of the roles that I've been in, I've been one of the only women. So um, my first college class was interesting. So it was a physics class, and a physics lab, and there were 12 students in the class, and I was the only female. So it's 8 a.m. Tuesday morning, you know, we're all – and I, I look around the room, and, and there I'm the only girl in class, and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to have to get used to, I guess. Um, mm. Some other roles, like when I was at Honeywell, you know, there were a handful of women there, not necessarily advanced engineering roles, um, but certainly technicians that had a broad knowledge that had been there for years and really were respected by a lot of their colleagues. Um, so it was really nice to see that level of respect. Um, and then here at St. Thomas, we have a, a pretty – good representation of women actually in our faculty. So um, I think it's kind of a mixed bag um, in terms of representation for women. You know, I, I see the statistics um, and obviously I agree that we need to get more women into the field. And I think um, partly for manufacturing, at least it's the lack of a real understanding of kind of what the, the possible career paths are and what that day-to-day -day work looks like. It's so hard to define, but I think the better we can give young people an idea of what, what that is, um, the more excited they could be about manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. And so what did you learn early on in your career as a woman in manufacturing? And, and based on your early experiences, what advice would you give about first impressions, positioning yourself for success um, when you look back again at your perhaps internship at Anderson, early career at Honeywell? Sure. Um, I found that many of my colleagues assumed that I wouldn't have some of the hands-on skills and experience. Um, so that's kind of good and bad. For, for one thing, it's 
kind of annoying when someone um, volunteers to help immediately thinking that you can't do something for yourself. On the other hand, um, sometimes you really don't know how to do that thing, and you can get help easily then. Um, I think sometimes men face the opposite stereotype where they, they're assumed that they should know how to do these things even when they're you know, early in their career, and it's harder for them to get help without you know, looking like they don't know what they're doing. Um, so I think in some respects, I think it's a little bit of an advantage sometimes that um, people assume that women don't know how to do some of these things. Um, that said, that's a very interesting I, I, perspective. That that that's a very interesting <laughs> perspective, right? We talk about the stereotype yeah. threats uh, that uh, you know, uh, it's kind of the opposite of that. That uh, you know, assuming men can do something which they really can't, right? That's right. Yeah, and, I, I and do think men think that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, when I face that, I try not to let someone's assumption kind of color my relationship with them. So I kind of know that there's going to be this brief, like, okay, I have to prove myself. Um, but I try not to let my emotions get in the way and kind of channel that into really showing how I do have skills and, you know, that I can make a, a good first impression with them. Um, if I don't know how to do something, I try to be completely honest with that. And for me, that's been a very good approach. Um, I like then I can, I can ask for help, honestly, and, you know, get demonstrations on how to do something. And then um, I always make sure that I actually follow through and do it and physically learn how to do it myself. So, for example, when I was at Honeywell, there was a complicated process that some of our operators did most of their day, um, and it's something that a couple of the engineers knew how to do, but most didn't. Um, and I actually sat down for a couple of days in a row with that operator and learned how to do the process fairly efficiently. Um, and A, that kind of helped me understand their perspective better when I was trying to make improvements or changes to their job duties. Um, but also that, that helped impress some of my other colleagues, my other engineering colleagues, because I could do that task. So when it came to um, making changes to it, I could demonstrate that, you know, if you try to make that change that this other person is suggesting, that's not going to work because of, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so, so actually following through and, and really learning those skills I think is really important. Well, that's very that's very impressive, and it's impressive relationship building both with the, as you said, your engineering colleagues, and also with the operators that you're attempting to influence through positive change, um, seeing their world and getting in the trenches with them, and and I'm sure it was, you know, again, very, um, uh, you know, it was a people always, you know, so many people want to mentor others or train others and really, um, you know, share their knowledge with others, and we can often assume the the opposite. Um, so that must have been a you know a, a rare and, and a unique and precious experience for um, for the operator as well. Yeah, I think they they had a lot of um, respect for me that I was actually trying to do it and not just watching because I think that's what they had observed time after time was that the engineers would come in and they would watch them do it and take some notes and you know that kind of thing, but not actually learn it enough that they could actually execute the process. Um, and exactly. Those two things are quite different. They look similar from the outside, but they're actually quite different until you actually do it. Um, yes. Another thing is that I would highly recommend the asking of questions when you don't know something, and I think it's a great way to show ambition too. Um, my first week on the job after grad school, um, I was in a strategic planning meeting with some of my colleagues, and there were some upper management folks there too. And I really didn't understand a lot of what was going on because I was so new. Um, so I didn't want to interrupt and ask too many questions. But I tried to ask 
strategic questions to kind of show that I was engaged and enthusiastic to learn. And I, I think that got noticed by, by the management. Um, and I think that that's a good strategy for, um, for kind of, you know, setting yourself out from the normal crowd. Mm-hmm. I like that. It was a strategic planning session and you were strategic about the questions that you answered. That was a, uh... You know, yeah, very, uh, very wise, right? For both your own, again, like you said, knowledge base, and uh, but also uh, sometimes we know that uh, you know, how do you shift paradigms? Typically, the the you know really groundbreaking new ideas come from people outside, right? That's and true, so absolutely. Just, you know, exactly, somebody that's so new and has the um, you know, as you said, shows the ambition to ask the questions, but sometimes just a question that a new person can ask and really spark. Looking at right, things the in question a, of in well, a why do we do way. it like that? Why don't we do it this other way? You know that that a person who's in the trenches doesn't even see that question to ask it. Exactly, exactly. Well, fabulous. That's uh, that's uh, again a very wise nugget for uh, for our audience to hear. That's uh, that's wonderful, and it's impressive that so early in your career you kind of you kind of saw that, right? You not only saw enough to ask it, but you saw the reaction and the implications of it. Right. Anything else that you would share based on your early experiences? Um, so I guess I've experienced a, a fair number of men being surprised when I could do some, you know, physical task like uh, attaching a swage lock fitting or something like that. And being able to demonstrate those skills gets instant respect. So the more of those hands-on skills that you can learn, I think, is, is to, to your benefit. Um, so I always try to look at it more as a fun challenge to – to change their assumptions rather than annoyed that they're harboring those assumptions in the first place. Just kind mm-hmm. of a perspective-taking exercise, I guess. Mm, perspective-taking exercise. That's excellent. Yeah, wonderful. Okay. So um, now I'd like to uh, switch from your early career to where you are now and have been for several years with your children, work-life balance. Um, what can you share about that journey into motherhood and advice for women as they start families, and also any advice you have for organizations since you've worked in corporate America, you work in the academic sector for retaining and nurturing female talent. Yeah, so after I had my first son, um, I went back to work full-time, and then after my second was born, I found that I really kind of wanted more flexibility and, if possible, part-time work so that I could be home with my my kids a little bit more. Um, And then I wanted to start working full-time again once my kids were in school. Um, So I looked high and low to try to find a position in manufacturing in Minneapolis-St. Paul area that would allow me to work part-time. And it turns out there really aren't opportunities like that out there. Um, So I ended up resigning um, from Honeywell and was home for several months not working, which was was okay, but I really wanted to continue that higher level of contribution – um, being a stay-at-home mom is great, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to judge anyone who is a stay-at-home mom. Um, I, I have utmost respect for you and patience that you, you harbor. Um, but for me, I wanted to have that adult interaction, and that was kind of an important piece for me. Um, so I continued to seek part-time work and then eventually ended up as an adjunct faculty at here at University of St. Thomas, um, started out as an instructor for a couple labs, and then now an employed um, full-time here as on a permanent basis, and I really love the flexibility that it's given me and my ability to reach the next generation of engineers is really exciting. Um, during that whole time, I also opened my own LLC and became an engineering consultant, 
where I worked on projects, select projects um, that were in partnership mostly with my prior employer. So after you're gone for a certain amount of time, then sometimes they'll hire you back on a consultant basis. And the nice thing with that is you have flexibility of hours and what projects you're going to work on, so you get a lot more say in, in what's going on. So that was really nice, too. Um, so for, for women who are looking to support families, if you want more flexibility or part-time work for a few years, there definitely are options out there. It's, it's a little tough, but you know, look into consulting as an option if that works, and then also teaching classes at local universities could be an option. I, it's wise, I think, to try to keep those skills sharp if you do want to end up back in the workforce. Um, there are career breaks that women take, and then sometimes they have to step down a little bit from where they were at pre previous to that. Um, so if you can try to keep your skills sharp, then potentially you can you know, jump over that hurdle and kind of stay in the same level of where you left. Um, as for the organizations, um, I would really love to see more organizations that allow part-time work or job shares. Um, I think that there's really a need for this, especially in engineering. Um, and, you know, this, this would allow women and men to easily have a more active part in the workforce but still provide care for young families or aging parents. Um, I think the employers, certainly there will be some downsides from their perspective, but I think there is a strong payoff. From my experience, I look at the women that I know with young families, and I see them as being some of the most dedicated, efficient workers that I know. Um, and I think sometimes having that small child at home really helps you, um, gives you some perspective on maximizing your available time um, because there's so little of it. You, you know just instinctively how to really be efficient about the time that you do have. So, so I think there is definitely some benefit to the employers as well. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely learned that lesson also about becoming much more efficient after my first son was born um, yep. with one's time and especially after, yes, having the second. So um, mm -hmm. uh, that's that's definitely, I think, almost a universal learning. Absolutely. Yep. And, and have you found, because I know I found that not only women, but I'm glad that you mentioned men, um, the younger generations of men, there's more and more want more balance and want the opportunity to play a larger role in their children's lives. So I think what you're talking about in terms of flexible work, part-time work, job sharing, um, I'm seeing that as a, and obviously that's a benefit then for the, their wives and moms too. Right. I would totally agree that I think that's something we're going to see more and more of. Yes, yes. Um, well, uh, as, as you mentioned, in, in some ways you have the best of all worlds. You can, you know, again, spend more time with your children, and then you also have this, uh, you're able to do some uh, corporate work with your consulting position, and then also through your academic work, the ability to reach out to the next generation of engineers. I'd love to hear you say more about that, uh, because we know that mentoring and sponsoring of women plays such a vital role in their career success. So can you tell us more about what you do to equip and inspire the younger women you mentor at the University of St. Thomas? Sure. So I teach two courses at St. Thomas right now, and I really am excited about the two courses that I teach. Um, they both have really exciting hands-on experience that the students gain, and it's so fun when you get to see the students, um, you know, they have those aha moments when they've solved the problem and it's so exciting for them and, and for me too and rewarding. 
Um, so the, the first class that I teach is, is an intro to engineering class. So it's a freshman level course that kind of explores different types of engineering um, the, in terms of disciplines, and it looks at different career pathways that the students could take. Um, so the students do, in that class, they do real hands-on work, such as um, they assemble circuits, they do soldering, um, they design and build physical structures and then test them out. Um, so it's so fun to see those students, especially the women, that have never done some of these hands-on things before. And they feel nervous at first, and then they do it, and then you know they gain a little bit of mastery over it, and then they're, they leave feeling so empowered. And, and the smile on their face and just how excited they are, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome being able to, to witness that and help them see that journey. Um, and I, I think it's really beneficial to the students, too, that, that as a woman I'm, I'm in this role kind of showing them these things, and I think that's powerful to them that it it's doesn't always have to be a man showing you these hands-on things. Um, so I, I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to do this as a woman and kind of um, change the, the gender perspectives of those students. Um, yeah, and that's one the of the other things. I don't know if you realize it, but every time you talk about hands-on experience, your voice just lights up. <laughs> that, that <doesn't laughs> I, I can totally me. hear that on the other end. Of the, I mean, when you started from talking about, as a child, your nature experiments to high school yeah. <laughs> and your week-long engineering programs to the lean work you did in your initial projects to these hand, hands-on work right now with students, it's, it's you do. You definitely get um, – it, it's clearly a – an area of passion, and I'm sure you are infectious with your students when you share it. I aim to be. Um, I, I'm sure you can tell that I'm a bit more of an experimentalist than, uh, uh, you know, the analytical side of things. So, Yes, absolutely. No, that's wonderful, and that's I think that's a, a key to your success, right, is just you found your passion, and you, yes, you've been able right. to live it in so many different um, forms. Um, over the course of your career, and then you get to pay it forward also. Yeah, and I think the fact that I did, I did some research as an undergraduate, I, you know, was involved in some extracurricular clubs, and I did the internships. Um, I got to see, you know, all these different possible routes that I could go, and even in my PhD, you know, I, I learned a lot, but I also kind of learned that I don't want to be um, sitting, working on the same project for, for four or five years in a row, you know, I kind of like the diversity and the quick thing in your feet kind of atmosphere. So I'm really glad that I explored all of these different types of roles. And I think that the more you can do that, the more likely you are to find one that, that is really you and you get excited and passionate about. And that's what's going to make, you know, your job worth waking up for in the morning. Yeah. And also just that, um, that you have found those opportunities and then you've really jumped into them and you've really, you know, kind of stretched yourself and, you know, seen what you liked and then being able to, um, you know, again, do more of the same. So just that also just that taking advantage and um, challenging yourself aspect. And I'm sure that that's, you know, again, what you're doing now to with your, with your current students is just, you know, as you say, that it can be intimidating at first, and then when they um, success breeds success, when they see that physical exactly. product that, that they've made and their hands-on role in it. So that's fabulous. So you said that there was two courses you're involved yeah, in now? So, that you, yep. so the other course that I teach is our senior design. So it's, it's the course that all of our engineering students have to go through in their final year, and it's a two-semester-long course um, that teams projects up, uh, or excuse me, teams students up with um, company sponsors, and so they're they're partnering and working on real world problems, 
um, with our local industry. And it's, so it's, it's really cool to be able to see um, the students, you know, they're working on a project and they're, they're working project management kind of for the first time because they've never dealt with this, this type of project where, um, you know, they're not just given the set of assignments that they have to follow and detailed instructions that if they follow those, then they can get a good grade. They have to figure out what those tasks are that they have to do. And then they have to put them on a timeline and figure out which of the students is going to execute which one and then actually do it. So it's this huge learning experience for the students. And, um, you know, halfway through, they'll come into my office and they're just lost and they don't know where to go. And, and we talk and, 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 you know, and work through things. But then at the end of the semester, it's, um, it's so exciting to, to see the students and talk to them about, wow, that was really eye-opening for me. And, you know, to hear all these stories about what they experienced throughout those two semesters. So I, I'm so fortunate to be in this position um, working with the students on these projects. Yeah, that's that's wonderful that you have that requirement. I'm sure it's just so, as you say, eye-opening and impactful for them to see how the engineering work is really done in, quote-unquote, the real world, right? Right, um, exactly. Yes, and then also, as you said, to gain those skills in project management, which yep. I'm sure is just invaluable because I'm sure, obviously, during their um, by that time, fourth year in the in the program, they learned so much about how to organize their own work and be efficient that way. But with all the different players that you need to interface with in the corporate environment, um, and so having that skill set of project management and and then managing change and uh, like you said, all the interpersonal skills and leadership skills and organizational skills that come with that, that must be mm -hmm. a real contribution to the students. Yeah. So all of those skills kind of have to come together for that course. And, and the students, they don't know that at the beginning, and they, they have to learn that. And they also have to learn that they don't know everything that they need for this project. You know, it's not just in a textbook. They have to go out and seek those things. And, and that's kind of an eye-opening experience for them, too. Yeah, absolutely. Have you noticed anything? Um, are there, I would imagine maybe there's more similarities than differences in terms of your male students and your female students and how they approach the senior project. Is there anything that you think there's some maybe um, uh, consistent um, differences uh, um, either in the where they struggle or where they tend to pick things up quicker amongst the female students? You know, I can't say that I've noticed too much, um, which I think is speaks a lot about our program that, you know, the, the classes leading up to this, um, we try to nurture all of our students and, and find what their their weaknesses are and help them develop those skills so that by the time they get to the senior level, honestly, I'm really not noticing, you know, skill deficits on either side or anything like that. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we've, we've tried to level the playing field as much as we can by that point. And I, I think for the most part, that's what I see. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, so going back to some of the things that we talked about earlier um, that you've experienced, again, since you have a unique ex uh, perspective as you were exposed to engineering in high school, um, obviously you got a college and then a postgraduate degree in engineering, you worked in industry academia. Um, how does the work you do in your experience lead you to advice for others? And it could be, again, at the high school level, college, industry, to attract and equip women to enter and succeed in manufacturing. I know you've already talked to some degree about 
um, you know, the uh, helping with work-life balance and more mm-hmm. flexible work, um, but, but maybe anything beyond that that you can think, again, even from high school, college to industry. Yeah, so I think first in terms of the attracting women and men to, to manufacturing is more to get the word out to, to kids and, you know, young students about what the careers in engineering and manufacturing actually look like. Um, again, going back to the, the science and math um, assumption that that's kind of what engineering is, I think the more we can change that and challenge that assumption, um, the more interesting that that career will be to to a wide variety of people, really. Um, and And second, I think providing opportunities for particularly young women, because I think they, more than young men, often lack those kind of hands-on skill opportunities. So the more we can present opportunities for them to learn about how to, you know, drill a hole through a piece of wood, for example, um, is going to boost their confidence and make them not shy away from, from the technical fields and from, you know, work that involves physical things. Because um, I think that's kind of the tendency that I've seen um, from my freshman students. Going back to your earlier question, actually, it's, it's interesting because I look at my freshman students, and I would say definitely I look at the women, and they're the ones who are kind of nervous and shy about drilling a hole, for example. Um, and and either the the men are either trying to not show that they're shy about it, or they're not. I'm not sure which. Um, but by <laughs> the time they get to the senior level, I'm really not seeing that anymore. So I think. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that we're, we're trying to give them lots of opportunities to gain those skills. So I think, you know, in the, in the broader population, I think if we can give those opportunities, then I think the, the differences between the genders that we see right now can start to disappear. Yeah, absolutely. And you definitely benefited from that kind of experience in high school. So, um, yes. And see the impact it made on you and then also working with your father uh, at a very exactly. young age yep. and getting exposed to that. Fabulous. Well, you've had so many successes, Tiffany. What would you say was your greatest professional challenge, and what did you learn from it? And I always think it's so interesting to to think about that. You know, sometimes we're in an experience, and it's it's rough going. It's really hard, and and we question things, and maybe we don't have all the confidence that that we could have. And and so so what what maybe was your greatest professional challenge, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, this is a tough question. Um, I think probably my PhD. Um, just, you know, getting through five years on the same project is probably mm-hmm. my, the biggest challenge that I'd overcome, at least so far. Um, so I, if I look at it now, you know, I tackled this years-long project as a young person. I didn't really know. So, I mean, you, you kind of enter this tunnel, and it's a really long tunnel, and you don't yet see the light at the end of it, you know, but, but you're still going, and, and you're trying to set up these these smaller goals because you know what the end goal is but you don't see it yet right so you're trying to set up these smaller goals to get you there and uh, that's a big undertaking for a young person um so i'm i'm proud to say that i was able to get through that um even though there were lots of bumps in the road um but i think you know what i learned from that was was how to set up these smaller goals and then make progress towards a larger goal and when there are major setbacks which always happen how to persevere in the face of those. And, and another thing, um, and this may be the, the, the biggest one, is that I learned to expect that things are not going to go according to plan. Um, mm. you know, and I tell my students that too when they're working on their projects. They, they set up these timelines and, 
and they say, okay, I'm going to assemble it on, you know, week 10, and then uh, three days later, I'm going to be testing it. And I say, um, just so you know, when you assemble it, it's not going to work. Um, and that's not really part of their thought process, that things are going to go not according to plan. Um, and so I think that's a very important lesson um, that, that I try to instill in my students. Yeah, and especially that they've probably been high achievers their whole lives, and then to get into situations where what they thought was going to happen isn't, and maybe some of right. their first, what they look at as failure experiences, and, uh, you know, their ability to come back from that and retool, I think that that is an excellent lesson, and I'm sure that's something well, right. that you, uh, yes. And and to take that, that failure and realize that it's not a failure, that it's yes. a step in the learning process, and that now they've discovered how it's not working, and they need to make some tweaks to make it work better, right? Absolutely. That's right. There's always another path to achieve the goal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you said something that we know is a maximum change management, which is that so often the changes that we're trying to see in organizations to, you know, transform, to improve for a better tomorrow. You mentioned lean. There's many other examples of that. It takes a long time. They're, they're yeah. you know, oftentimes years long. And so, we know that that can be it can be frustrating. There's times mm-hmm. where it's demoralizing, and you don't feel like you're achieving it. And and those small goals, quick wins, you know, milestones, and um, recognizing them, celebrating them, that definitely keeps the energy and momentum up. So that's fabulous right. that you had that learning yourself, because that is something that we uh, we definitely know to be true about how to have changed not just in your life and your career, but organizationally as well. Exactly. Yeah, and I love one other thing you said about the light at the end of the tunnel, and it can seem so far away. An expression mm-hmm. I heard that I just love is that the light at the end of the tunnel is you. Oh, I like that. Isn't that? Because you think it's the project, yeah. right? You think it's the PhD. Yep. You think it's whatever the right. tangible goal is, but really the light is what do you learn about yourself, right, and seeing yourself I really in a like different that. light. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I did too. I wish I made it up. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I wish I wish I knew. I remember who said it too. <laughs> if any listener sure. knows, please uh, please contact us. So, all right, <laughs> Tiffany. Well, I really want to respect your time. And um, as we close our show today, I have two wrap-up questions for you. And the first one is, what key message would you like to leave our audience with? What key message? Um. There are lots of opportunities out there in manufacturing for women, but I think we need to do a better job of making young girls aware of what those opportunities are and, and the benefits and excitement that, that they can find in manufacturing. And, and then once they understand that role, then help them gain those kind of hands-on or you know, other miscellaneous skills beyond the science and engineering or science and math um, that are necessary to gain that confidence so that they can enter and be convinced to stay and succeed in manufacturing. Perfect. And towards that end, my final question, it's what challenge or action step would you pose our listeners today? Challenge or action step? Okay, so for those that are in management positions, I would ask you to consider allowing mid-career or part-time work on kind of flex schedules and try to think outside the box for retaining women um, that need to spend more time at home to care for young or aging family members. Um, and, and I mentioned before, not just young women, but, but also young men, and I think that flexibility will pay off in the long run. Um, 
for those with experience in manufacturing, I ask that you share your journey with girls. Let them know the diversity of options and the excitement that you find in engineering and manufacturing and really work to break that science and math stereotype. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thanks for spending the time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to our audience for joining this conversation today. Please continue to stay tuned and engage with us at Women and MFG online and also on Twitter. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.